You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming up on today's episode, we take a look at NHL front office rankings as well as what Sean Couturier's new contract means for Mark Shifley. Plus an interview with Mike Del Buono, owner of King & Ban, on what it's like for a restaurant to participate in La Burr Week. But first, a word from our friends over at DraftKings. We are a week away from the NFL regular season officially returning, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving all new players a can't-miss offer for the opening week. All it is, you bet $1, just one, on any NFL game during the first week of the season, and you receive 200 buckaroos and free bets instantly. No matter what happens, you get $200 by making just $1 bet. So head to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now to check out all the great promotions and daily odd boosts that they have going on. Plus, you can make every game a big game with same-game parlays. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any Week 1 game. That's promo code THPN to get your free $200 in free bets instantly. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. What's good and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewicki or the podcast at Skates Plates Pod. So we've actually got a bit of hockey news as August begins to wind down, and that's how we'll kick off today's show. Before we speak with Mike from Kanan Ban, as Burger Week is now under seven days away from kicking off, I actually checked out the contender list on the uh, website earlier today, and I think I've been able to whittle my list down to, I think, 16 burgers. 16 that are on my must-try list, so I'm feeling pretty good with where I'm at right now. But by the way, I would love to know what you guys are looking forward to eating the most. 
So tweet me, hit me up at Brandon underscore Rewiki on Twitter or at Skates Plates Pod for the podcast. Would love to know what everybody's thinking, like kind of what the, uh, I guess what the top three, top five most exciting burgers are ahead of Burger Week getting started. So let me know. I'd be intrigued to hear what your answers are. But from burger rankings to front office rankings, The Athletic released their annual article, and these are always really interesting to me, the way they do this, because it's actually all done by fan vote. So both the team's fans and then the public as a whole vote on where each front office ranks in the NHL. So where, obviously, do the Winnipeg Jets find themselves in all this? And I was intrigued to find out the answer because, you know, on Twitter, which you know, to be fair, is not a good barometer of, of what's going on with anything. But it, it just seems to me like there, people are either all in on Kevin Chevalier and what's happened over the last several years, or they're fed up with the lack of deep playoff success over the last three years. So I just wanted to get a sense, you know, you, you kind of have somewhat of an idea with how the rankings go, you know, where people generally fall into. No surprise at the top. The back-to-back champs, the Lightning are number one, followed quickly by Colorado at number two. I don't think there's going to be any uh, disagreement there. Three is Detroit and Stevie Y. I mean, I get that he's Stevie Y, but that seems awfully high, doesn't it? For a team that's been just horrendous for three, soon-to-be four years. And I get that's what they're trying to do, but I mean, still, like none of the draft picks that Stevie Y has made... Have, I don't think any of them have even played yet for, for the Red Wings. So it's, it's really easy to keep a team in rebuild, and it's really easy to go that route. But to me, the real difficulty is actually building them into a constant contender. I think it takes, to me, high marks go for teams that are up near the top every single year as opposed to rebuilding teams. But whatever, that's you know not, not what you guys are listening for. Uh, number five, four and five make a lot more sense, uh, for me at least. Bill Zito's one-year turnaround of the Panthers puts Florida at four, where pretty much everything Bill Zito touched turned into gold. Plus, by all accounts, it sounds like the front office and, and the culture of the organization is in a really good spot. And, and doesn't that sound familiar with the next entry on the list? Lou Lamorello and his <laughs> magic voodoo have the Islanders at number five. Tough to argue with that one after back-to-back conference finals trips. And then right after that... Wouldn't you know it, the Winnipeg Jets find themselves with the sixth best front office in the NHL, according to the fans. Now, in about a month or so, we'll do our league-wide rankings of of every position, and and GMs is going to be one of them. So I'm not going to get too crazy in-depth here on on where I have, you know, the Winnipeg Jets front office and where Kevin Sheveldayoff ranks across the NHL. But what was interesting to me the most was that... The Jets fan base, specifically Jets fans, ranked Winnipeg's front office sixth. The rest of the public, so these are fans, you know, of, of other teams in the NHL, obviously, they had the Jets 10th. So, so not as high as, you know, people here in Winnipeg, but still solid marks ranking the Jets as a top 10 front office. Now, there's six categories that people could vote on here. And the Winnipeg Jets did really good in in five of the six. Roster building, cap management, draft and develop, trading, and vision were five of the six categories that the Winnipeg Jets were top ten in each of those. 
So they were considered top 10 right across the board, public opinion, or the Jets fan base, which is a hell of a spot to be in. And, you know, for those that don't know, draft and develop holds a little more cachet in these rankings, a little more value put to that. I think we would all agree that's pretty fair. The one out of the six that the Jets didn't do so hot in was free agency. They were more middle of the pack, looks like 14th from the public and 17th from the Jets fan base. And even that to me could be pretty easily explained, right? You know, not necessarily. Oh, well, it is an excuse. It, I think it is at least because it's purely location based to me. You know, the team just doesn't have the ability to lure high end or even, you know, middle of the table free agents when the frenzy opens because most people don't want to play in Winnipeg. They just don't love the city compared to the other big cities that are in the NHL. Now, and, and to be fair, you know, if you're going to be bad at one of those six, you know, be bad at free agency because generally teams that spend huge, that ends up coming to bite them in the ass anyway. So, you know, it's not even that bad for the Jets to be middle of the pack in free agency. But there's no doubt that the summer of Chevy, to me, would put the Jets really high up on the list. Sixth, I mean, that's a debate for another day. But optimism is clearly pulsing through the city right now, and I think it is completely fair and, and well-deserved. But I, I also believe that this is a good reminder, you know, looking at these rankings and now having people outside of Winnipeg chime in on these rankings. For fans that do complain about the job management is done, you know, not doing a ton in the playoffs despite 10 years in charge, this team really is doing a whole lot right. I mean, the franchise was totally rocked when Buff, Truba, Meyer, Sherrod all left town in the same offseason. But it looks like they're finally turning things around, especially on the blue line in that front after a tough couple of years. But when it comes to for sure the five categories, this front office is consistently in the top half of the NHL. I mean, top 10 of the league. And, and while that doesn't guarantee a Stanley Cup or anything like that, when you look at some of the other franchises that are further down on the list, things could be a hell of a lot worse. A lot worse. Looking at you, Buffalo and, and Arizona and San Jose, etc., etc. <laughs> Plus, you know, even now, I still feel like people to this day still underestimate how hard it is to conduct business being in Winnipeg. I, I mean, hell, one of Chevy's biggest offseason moves Nate Schmidt, the trade for Nate Schmidt, took three cracks and a Paul Stesny phone call until he finally waived his no-trade clause to come here. One of the biggest trades this team has made in a few seasons, the player didn't want to come here and waived two separate occasions, right? So I think Chevy's been great considering the location constraints that he's been under. Is it sixth overall in the NHL grades? Well, you'll have to tune into the GM ranking show in about a month and find out. But all in all, I think Jets fans can be pretty happy with, you know, the Athletics ranking and having the Jets at number six. Now, the other piece of news that we'll get to quickly here, Sean Couturier of the Flyers signs an eight-year extension on Thursday. That'll kick in after this upcoming season. Eight years, $7.75 million per season. Now, as a closeted Flyers fan, I, in all caps, love this deal. Love it. I, I thought there was no way the cap hit would be anything less than a nine. So, you know, while the term isn't ideal, obviously, for me, the cap hit is just too good to pass up. Plus, you know, eight years. Who knows if there will be a planet in eight years? So screw it. Let's just go for broke right now. And of course, you can mention 
Sean Couturier without bringing out Mark Shifley. You have to have the debate from the 2011 draft time and time again, the two best centers from that infamous draft class. And I just started wondering, you know, what what a potential Mark Shifley extension would look like. Now, fortunately, it's three years away. And it's not something any of us or, or even Kevin Cheveldayoff really has to worry about just yet. So it's a future problem. But it will be a monumental decision either way to make for the club. And, I mean, look, we, we kind of know, I think, generally what it might look like. I mean, the cap hit is obviously going to go up. And it's going to go up significantly from Mark Shifley's current deal. But I do wonder if we see an eight-year deal a la the Sean Couturier for Mark Shifley. I wonder if he gets that much term because, you know, while those two are the same age, obviously Shifley will be 30 years old by the time his next contract kicks in. And we all know that signing 30-year-olds, even early 30-year-olds, to eight-year contracts, I mean, pretty much never work out. If they do, it is beyond rare, beyond an outlier. It's just generally bad business to do that. But at that point, you could be talking about the best player in team history, your potential captain, you know, all that stuff that goes around with being the team's first ever draft pick, the legacy, all that complicated stuff. So maybe you feel compelled to keep Mark Shifley around for the rest of his career and you just bite the bullet and sign him to an eight-year deal, right? Like, it's it's a really interesting discussion to get into and I I mean we don't know what the move's going to be we don't know what the cap's going to be like in a couple years whether it moves up or not like there's just so many potential balls that are still up in the air here but having said that I will make a very very foolish way too early prediction on all this I I mean look I don't think Mark I think there's two guarantees here I don't think Mark Shifley is going to take a hometown discount this time around but I also don't think he's going to be leaving Winnipeg. I, I really don't. And and whether or not this team has any extended success these next three years, I mean, that's going to play a part in it. But I do really think that we will see the Jets and Mark Shifley come around and sign a long-term deal and make sure that he hopefully retires as a one-team player, a lifelong Winnipeg Jet. My way to early prediction, seven years, just under $10 million cap hit per season. That's going to be my call. Well, we can check this in a couple of years, but thankfully the Jets can enjoy the $6.125 million cap hit for Mark Shifley right now for the next three seasons. And hopefully that deal, Ehlers deal, Hellebuck's deal, those three can put the Jets into the promised land before the, the summer of reckoning happens in 2024. But again, problem for future us. Plenty more things to worry about in the present, including what to do for Burger Week, Good God, that was a sweet transition. The Foodie Super Bowl is just days away. And I mentioned earlier that, you know, I found a way to whittle my list, my must-eat burger list, down to 16. One of the places that's always high up on my rankings personally every single year is King and Banatai, my go-to sandwich shop in the city. And they did not disappoint with their entry once again this year. And, you know, I, I mean, obviously wanted to talk about you know, burgers and what goes into the decision making and all that. But I've always wondered what it's like to be in the trenches when Burger Week goes down, right? Because being in so many restaurants during this, and for anyone that's picked up one, I mean, it's just an absolute zoo pretty much anywhere you go. So I wanted to get a peek behind the curtains and, and find out what it's like to be in the mix. And who better to ask than the owner of King and Bannatine, my man and my 
first ever food recurring guest, actually, but super happy to bring on the podcast right now, owner of King and Bannatine, Mike Del Buono. Mike, how's it going, man? Going well. And you know what? That's, I'm glad you mentioned it. I totally forgot. Like, I was. You have to remind me what episode I was on. I think it was one of the first ones that you did, though. You know what? I, I actually I should have wrote that down. You were the first food interview that That's we right. ever had on the show. I don't know if it was the first episode, but you have uh, you were you were the premier culinary guest to be brought on. So that's, that's some right. that's some pretty Skate, heady company you're in. Skates come before plates, so that makes sense. Um, yeah, I had a blast last time. I think we got going, and uh, it was a ton of fun. It was a ton of fun. So All glad right, to be we'll back have, for sure. We'll have some more fun here uh, before we get into the madness that is Burger Week coming up soon here. You actually have some really exciting news that you shared recently. Can you just, for anybody that might have missed it, can you just, you know, let our listeners know some of the exciting things you have planned coming up soon? Yeah, we're actually, um, we're jumping, we're, we're coming out of uh, COVID with a bang and uh, we're actually opening two new restaurants. Um, just came into a unique opportunity with a, an existing restaurant space that, um, was able to house two restaurants simultaneously. And so we're going to be opening another sandwich shop called the second spot um, that will be very much familiar with what, you know, uh, King and Ban, um, very familiar setup. The branding will be all the same, but we're doing a different menu. We wanted to shake things up a little bit, um, but it's some things that you've seen us do before. And uh, it's kind of the classics that we run as specials that everybody loves. And, it's gonna be a lot of fun and then we're going kind of total opposite spectrum as well on the other side um, i'm working with chef emily butcher from deer and almond uh, and who was formerly just on top chef canada um, when we're doing um, a full service it's going to be a uh, share plates concept a little bit more higher end uh, lots of wine cocktails um, she has got just a unbelievably fun and unique menu that she's putting together for us um, that is inspired from her upbringing in the pacific northwest uh, out in BC, and uh, I just I can't wait to do it. It's gonna be tons of fun. Um, it's 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 looking really good. That's awesome to hear. Is that opening sometime in in 2021? Yeah, we are. We're shooting for mid to late September. Um, so a couple things to go on. Um, COVID has its hands in everything, so delays left, right, and center, um, which is expected in our industry. But um, we'll we'll get there. The the end is in sight. We can see it. Well, I'm super excited for it. I can't wait. The, the NOLA um, the, the NOLA venue sounds like it's going to be super neat. And, you know, anybody that watched Top Chef Canada knows Emily's uh, cooking chops are some of the best in the country here. Uh, but, I mean, second spot's going to be outstanding, too. And I can tell you what, if, if two isn't enough, if you're looking for a third spot location, I've got a great spot just outside of court and a.k.a. my house if you want to. <laughs> pop-ups. We always do pop-ups. <laughs> Ghost Kitchen, right? That's, yeah. that's where it's at right now. Um, so, I mean, super, super exciting news. I mean, maybe there's a couple of burger weeks on the horizon for both of those new spots next year. But in the meantime, King and Band is at it once again for this year's Burger Week. And you guys are not disappointing once again. You always have one of the top entries into the competition. And this year's the King Queso. You guys came to play once again. So... Can you just give us the rundown on what's on this bad boy? Yeah, so we um, every year we kind of get the staff together and we throw ideas around pretty early and we run a little bit of a, I would call it a friendly competition in the shop. And this one came out the winter this time around and uh, 
we had a lot of success with our one last year. And so we wanted to kind of play off of what we used and just kind of the simplicity and the execution wise, uh, how it went. And so we, uh, we decided to do a little bit of a Southern theme. And so the King queso is kind of a uh, Mexican take on, on our beef and cheddar. And uh, it's got a house made patty with um, our braised beef with your very familiar that we do. Uh, we made our own house made queso cheese sauce. Uh, it's got some apple cider, caramelized onions. It's got uh, a pickled jalapeno relish, a salsa verde burger sauce, and then it's got uh, La Cocina uh, taco chip crumble on there for a little bit of texture. And the kitchen sink too, and a couple other. I mean, it's oh, no. and, and if you haven't seen the picture on Instagram too, I mean, it's absolutely mouth. It, it looks mouth watering. I can't <laughs> wait to, to sink my teeth into it. I've always been fascinated when it comes to Burger Week, just about the behind the scenes process and just the thought and planning that goes into all this. Uh, you know, I wanted to ask you about that, but I did not know, and, and maybe it's just unique to. Uh, your crew down there, but you actually kind of get together and each employee gets to maybe pitch their own burger idea and you guys pick the best one. That's how it works. Yeah. It's a little bit of friendly competition. I mean, like we naturally it's a big week for us. So we take it pretty seriously. And the, the ideas basically get thrown around, you know, the day we get back from burger week, it's like, Hey, what if we did this next year? And so we, we write those down and like, and then throughout the year, we, we get a bunch of ideas and then we just kind of, we play with them and we, we toy around with them. And, um, we're a little bit unique in like what we can offer people because of the size of our restaurant and how we have to do things. So it's always fun and it's, it's challenging how we can pull it off, but, um, we, people seem to love what we do. So we're just gonna, we just keep on going. Yeah. And, and maybe touch on that because, you know, for those that haven't been, you know, the little sandwich shop on the corner, obviously you don't have a flat top to make burgers because that's not your MO. So, you know, just t talk about how how you guys, you know, throw out hundreds of burgers each day. It doesn't make it easier without a flat top. I, I imagine it doesn't, but just how, how that process all works. Nothing about it is easy. I will say that. Um, it is a very unique scenario because, you know, we have number one, not a lot of space. Like it's a small kitchen. Um, mostly seating. We have a small prep area in the back. Uh, but yeah, we don't have traditional equipment, uh, including the hood vents that would come with, you know, a grill or a flat top. Um, but what we do have is a very fancy oven. Um, and so this, this oven's, it's, it's got all the features on it, which one happens to be a grill setting. Um, and so we actually, we bake our patties in an oven at an extremely high temperature um, and it cooks these things in eight minute flat and it does it just like a grill would. it sears the outside. And so we have a uh, orchestral system. Uh, it's a symphony of, of things r rolling around and the timing is we've got a guy in the back who's training up burger patties onto trays and seasoning them, getting ready. And as soon as the timer goes off, you open the door, get those patties out, throw the next one in, and it's like eight minutes. And we've just got a continuous stream of patties going from the minute we open the door uh, until we run out at the end of the night. And it's uh, it's wild and crazy. And we've done it enough times that we we know how to really pull it off. Um, but it's uh, something is is you know it is always is always new every year, and uh, it's. It's something that we learned very quickly how to do um, because the first year that we did it, we weren't expecting to be that busy. We just kind of had to roll with the punches. And uh, 
I give my team just the most credit in the world because it's um, it's a it's a taxing week for us. It's you know we are a very small team. We typically have five or six people on staff. We'll bring in some ringers to make it up to eight or nine, but everybody's working from open till close for seven. Now this year, <laughs> ten days. Uh, they've made it two weeks, but we're doing only ten. We can't we can't really do much more than that. Um, so it's it's crazy. We have a ton of fun, um, and it never ceases to amaze me, like how seriously people take Burger Week. Like it's unbelievable. It's uh, and our city is uh, is special in that because it, it you know Burger Week happens in a number of cities, but uh, Winnipeg takes it to a whole nother level. Yeah, I, I think it's actually like per capita has the most restaurants in Burger Week across mm-hmm. Canada every single year. And, and I yeah. think it's getting even bigger and bigger again this year. Um, yeah. Can you just touch on, like you kind of mentioned it there, but just take us through like a day in the life of, of somebody that works in a restaurant during Burger Week. Like, are you getting up at like, is, does the alarm go off at like 4.30? Like mine used to back in the old radio days and you get home yeah. and then it's like, oh, well, right back at it again for the next day. Yeah, pretty much. And um you know, it's because we, we make everything in house. Like that's something we've always done and we always will. And so, you know, if we're going to be doing bacon on a burger, like we're bringing pork bellies and we're smoking them and then we're cutting and then we're cooking. And so, yeah, I mean like patties is, is the one thing like that's, you know, we hand press our patties and when we're doing, you know, 400 a day, um, you got to spend a lot of time and we don't have the luxury of a, a really giant uh, cooler to store all this stuff in. So we kind of have to have like a rotation going. So you're going to get there in the morning. Uh, most likely your job is going to be filling squeeze bottles, um, cutting lettuce if we're using it, and then buns, like cutting buns, because there's just so many buns to go through. Um, of course, it's depending on what we do that that year. Um, you know, we moved to the King Mac. We had kind of a th- triple stacked bun, which made the work twice as much because you had to match tops to bottoms and middles and this and that. Uh, and then we had the ramen noodle bun, which was just, we're never doing that again. <laughs> um, and so it's getting ready. Like it's, it's all every, all hands on deck. We just basically only serve burgers. The fridge is just full with sauces and everything like that. And then as soon as like 1045 rolls around, you get the first batch of burgers in and everyone's go. And at the minute we open the door, there is a lineup. People are waiting outside. They get in and it just is out the door around the building. And it'll be like that until we, until we run up for the day. And uh, it's amazing. Uh, it's a, it's a super fun atmosphere. Uh, there's smoke in the air. Uh, and we just, you know, we stand on the line. We don't move from our spot for, you know, six, seven hours straight until we get relief from the night crew. And you literally just make burgers. It's like a, it's like a factory. Like you just, one guy's doing buns, sauces, the other guy's got the patties, the toppings, and it's just onto the next, onto the next. Uh, you don't even ask people what they want because they're here for the burger. Like that's all it is. Do people order sandwiches during you burgers? Know like at all? So funny is we have, without fail every year and like usually every day we'll have our diehard regulars that will stand in line for 45 minutes outside the building and they'll get to the front and they'll be like brisket please and i'm just like 
it's on me. Like you can have it. Like that's just amazing. <laughs> it's yeah, we do get people. So we still offer like the menu because some people still do, like, you know, they don't know that burger week's going on. Um, so, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to disappoint people when they get up to the front of the line and, <laughs> and you can't give them what they want. So, um, yeah. And then as soon as things like really trickle off, it's like, okay, get to the back, start pressing burger patties, get back at it and start pressing patties, start chopping things. If we need to reprep sauces, you know, make giant batches of mayo. Um, it's, uh, and there's a lot of dishes to do. So it's, uh, it's, it's a process, but you know what, like I said, we've done it so many times. Everyone knows their place and, uh, it always ends up being fun. Um, you mentioned the the ramen noodle burger. You've done one with uh, a donut as as the bun, a Big Mac style burger, which I think might have been my personal favorite, just because you know I I have a thing for that. But have there been any burger creations that you've concocted that have just been too crazy to throw out there? Ones that you think like people would like, but you're probably just like, nah, too much work or you know too much money, whatever it may be. Like, just what 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 are some of the wildest burger ideas you've come up with that was definitely the ramen one that was um that was the i will say it right now and i don't think i'll ever surpass this it was the hardest i have ever worked in my life and it was kind of funny it was um it was the first burger week after my original chef tyrone had left and so i kind of had this uh i don't know mentality like i had something to prove and i really wanted to go for it and i really wanted to do something different and so we came up with this ramen burger where essentially, if, you know, if anybody didn't see it or, or have it, uh, we, we crafted the bun out of like instant ramen noodles. And uh, a lot of people thought we just kind of took the raw noodles and just like, you know, cut them and it was like a crispy thing. But there was, there was a process behind that. And it started with every single pack of ramen noodles. We didn't get the bulk wholesale we got cases of like the single serve ramen noodles and it starts with opening every single one and then opening every little seasoning packet and we would put the little seasoning into a little container and then the noodles would go in one thing and you had to cook the noodles in big batches strain them cool them take the seasoning mix it with an egg mixture so that you could weigh out the noodles toss them in this thing and then we had to press them in stacks and then they were held kind of like patties would be and you throw them in the oven with the patties and they would bake so they were kind of soft noodles on the inside like crunchy and crispy on the outside so not only did we have to like make the thousands of burger patties but we had to make two ramen patties for every burger because you had one on the top and one on the bottom and so on top of like the making the patties it was like you had to make twice as many noodle buns and we just i spent probably two or three hours a day just gorilla pressing trays of noodle buns in the cooler trying to like tetris them on top of one another to rotate them and get them pressed and i it was yeah it was it was mental it was crazy it was the stupidest thing i've ever done i apologize to my staff all the time for it uh, but we pulled it off and like it's one of the, the coolest things that we have done because it was very unique, but never again will we be crafting our own buns. That was uh, that was an experience. 
It was good though, like it worked. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> like, thank like, you. like what you touched on there was crispy on the outside, but like there was actually some chew to it. So, I mean, it sounds like it was hell, but at least it was somewhat worth yeah. it. <laughs> I think I opened like two thousand six hundred and seventy little ramen seasoning packets over the week. <laughs> it was crazy, just crazy. Do you ever get a chance to like go out and, and try any other restaurants, Burger Week burgers, or is it just like too too much madness for you? Yeah, it's um, what we do is we typically will do a trade with Chosabi because they're just down the way. So um, easy to trade with them. Shore McConnell usually have a good one too. We'll trade with them. But other than that, if unless someone's dropping one off for me, then I'm uh, I'm just just making them, just making them. And how many do you have to like? How much taste testing is there done when you're like when you were coming up with the king queso? Uh, like I, I mean the the concept is kind of you know rolling in and everything like that. But how much actual um, cooking and, and legwork goes into it before you perfect the final recipe? This one was this was actually a little bit easier to pull off this one because a lot of the components that we got in there we have made before. Um, so. This was a matter of this one particular didn't take a lot of work, but it was the making of the other ones that it was going up against that were a little bit more like work. And uh, this one ended up being the one that we went with. And uh, it's for me, like these are the type of burgers that I like. Like I like simple, I like cheese, I like pickles, I like burger sauce. And like that, that's good for me. And so th this is right along those lines. And uh if if last year was any indication, and even the King Mac, you know, if there's any indication of what people really like, it seems to be the burgers like that that uh, people gravitate towards. That's awesome, man. Well, I mean, I appreciate you taking the time to join me today. With, I mean, ne never mind Burger Week, but then two spots open it up sometime soon. So I know you're super busy. It, it's really appreciated. Um, you know, with COVID and everything going on right now, can you just you know let our listeners know? I mean, A, where the best place is to find out about the King Queso Burger, but then B, just, you know, what the, um, you know, just, just all the precautions and everything that goes into, you know, if they want to stop by Kanban, how they can do that, when they can do that and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, for us, if you want to find out about us, just checking out our Instagram, so King and Ban, um, we'll have all the info on there. Check out the Burger Week website. Uh, cause now that it's two weeks, I mean, you'll have a chance to really go out and try more restaurants, which I would encourage anyone to do. Um, it is a great way to check out new restaurants, um, and to get around for us. Um, we're keeping to 50% capacity inside. We're asking that everyone's space is in line. Um, please wear your mask, um, when you're coming in. Um, and, and, and just, just be mindful that, you know, we are, uh, we're seeing a lot of people every day. So, we do just want to try and keep it as safe as possible. We know that uh, numbers are kind of cranking up a little bit here, but uh, you know, we did it last year in the summer and uh, everything was fine. Everyone's been great. And um, yeah, I, I, I have no worries at all. I mean, like people have been great through COVID. I mean, we don't get any really uh, any friction on, on the restrictions or anything like that. So um, yeah, there's just, there's a lot of people coming through. So uh if you can, just be patient with us because we're going to uh, we're going to move as quick as we can. I promise. And it's worth the wait because I mean they're beautiful every year, and this one is uh, living up to the reputation of Burger Champions of past. So super excited to head down to the shop and try it out, Mike. But again, thank you so much for joining me today. It was a ton of fun. Yeah, my pleasure. Anytime, Brent. 
always great talking to Mike and looking forward to seeing him in person when Burger Week starts Wednesday, September 1st at 11 a.m. Pro tip, by the way, whenever you're heading out to a location to grab a burger, make sure when you do that to grab a burger from multiple spots in the same neighborhood for maximum efficiency of Burger Week. It, it really is the way to go. You can trim down your list, plan it ahead of time. You, you order it for takeout too, and then you're good to go. I mean, King and Ban is in the exchange, so there's a few great spots all within walking distance of each other too. I mean, Amsterdam Tea Room, actually, I don't know if a lot of people know about this place. They had one of my big time favorites from last year. They're right around the corner from King and Ban. Chisabi's there too. There's a few other really great spots. So just keep that in mind when you're doing your burger trips. You can grab a few in one trip. You cut them in half. And then you share with a partner, your partner, your husband, wife, whoever it is. And you're good to go. You crank out three, four burgers in one trip. So that's something to keep in mind. I'll tell you what, if I put as much work into my workout plan as I do with my burger week prep, I wouldn't have to worry about buying new jeans after ripping them twice a month. But oh well, eight months until next swimsuit season. So I got some time to get in shape. We're all good. But that wraps up another episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. We're back at it again on Tuesday with a super fun idea, actually. You know, I've been working on this one for a little while now. It took a little more work than I had anticipated. But if you know me at all, you know I'm a massive Marvel fan. Huge Marvel nerd. And the latest show from Marvel, you know, after, you know, Loki and WandaVision and all that, the latest show from Marvel is called What If? And it basically looks at alternate scenarios in the Marvel Universe. Like, what would happen if Captain America was Peggy Carter? Or if Black Panther ended up being Star-Lord instead? Like, stuff like that. So I thought, why not use that same idea for the Winnipeg Jets? So we're actually going to take a look at an alternate universe, a point in time where the trajectory of the Winnipeg Jets could have been changed forever. And I've pinpointed a pretty monumental time in, in Winnipeg Jets 2.0 history. So on Tuesday's episode, we're going to look at an alternate universe where the Jets sign Andrew Ladd and trade Dustin Bufflin. So I've spent too much time on this, but I hope you guys enjoy it or at the very least are entertained because this timeline does get pretty dark. But one way or the other, that's what's coming up on Tuesday's episode. Again, thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. Enjoy the weekend. Peace.